Anderson flew off indoor. What a year had it been. The Bucks are the world champions. Moncrief going inside. Welcome to episode 15 of the Winning Six podcast, official podcast behind the bookpass.com. I'm your host and the site's editor in chief, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual this week are two of the site's great writers. We've got Jordan Tresky and Ty Windish. Now, continuing on from, from what we've been doing in the last couple of weeks, our, our main focus for this podcast is going to be on the book's small forward rotation. Um, what to expect from the guys who are likely to play there this year, what way the rotation will shake out. Um, just having looked at the point guards and shooting guards over the last two weeks, it's now the turn of the small forwards. Before we get into that, though, um, we'll take a quick look at what's probably the most pressing piece of books news from the past week. Um, and of course, talking about another signing. And this time, it's also a surprising name, but it's a little bit different. This isn't someone who isn't really tried and tested. Instead, it's an NBA veteran in the form of Josh Powell. Um, Powell's been around the league a long time. He's gone through a lot of different teams. He's had his spells in Europe. What makes it most surprising, though, is last season he wasn't even playing. He had, yeah, I suppose he had turned over to the dark side and he had become an assistant coach in the NBA. So what has made the books want to go and bring an assistant coach to be a player into training camp? You got me. Um, I have no idea. Um, it's kind of funny. He has half the coaching experience Jason Kidd has, which is fun. Um, but no, I don't, I don't really, it's, it's really out of the blue. I mean, in a week where Kendall Marshall gets picked up to a multi-year deal by the Sixers, the Bucks bring in Josh Powell, a 32-year-old assistant coach on the Rockets. Um, That's so sad. I mean, that, that, that whole idea is so sad. <laughs> yeah, just looking at those things next to each other, which may not be fair, but I mean, I, I, Powell's probably not going to get pretty much any money. I, I'm almost positive it's a non-guaranteed deal, but still, I mean, I just don't know if the upside's there. I mean, he's been coaching for a whole year. Is, is he even like in basketball shape at this point? I don't know. I hope he's at least in basketball shape if they're bringing him to training camp. Maybe they're bringing him to training camp to get him into basketball shape, make him a better coach. Maybe he'll be an assistant with the books this year. That, I was thinking maybe that's a, maybe he just wants to go through one last camp. And but then be a, I don't know. I mean, as I, I tweeted at the time, the, the thing with that is he didn't play with Jason Kidd. It, <laughs> it feels like a missing link here. If he played with Jason Kidd, you'd go, okay, well, he's definitely going to make it through training camp. Or I know it, well, you want him to be an assistant coach or whatever. Um but he didn't. He played, played on the Mavs, but not when Kid was there, and that's a bit unusual. What do you think, Jordan? How did, how did you react to the news of Powell signing? Uh, I just thought of it as like a training camp thing. 
like kind of like the last couple, uh, Landry and uh, Westbrook. I just felt like you know they're giving him a shot, but is it a real chance to join the team? Probably not. And in Paolo's case, he's 32. He's already you know kind of. I don't want to say on the decline because that's a little harsh, but his best years have probably gone. So I, just wants to I think it's fair not to say. Yeah, I think it's pretty fair. To, yeah. I mean, unless he's, I, a, unless he's oh. a complete anomaly and he he reacts differently physically from every other <laughs> yeah. player in history. Yeah, I mean, he's probably in on the decline by now. Yeah, yeah I think it's pretty fun. I just I wonder what because he was with Houston coaching, correct? Yeah. He was. He played one game. I wonder game what he, like his end game. Maybe he just like missed a game, like playing the game. Obviously, well, that's obviously the case. But like, what, what was like the impetus? That's why I'm kind of like just wondering from his standpoint, not like the Bucks standpoint, but just yeah. It's I. In overall, it's just I can't really think of it more than just a training camp invite. Yeah. Well, for yeah. those who who aren't familiar with it, this is basically how his. This is how it's played out for him in recent seasons. Um, two rings. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, two true. rings in 08, 09, 09, 2010 with the Lakers. Um, played 60 games the first season, 63 in the second. Um, it's probably important to point out that he played significant enough minutes comparative to the rest of his career in LA. Um, 11.7 minutes his first season, 9.2 in the second. He's really an end-the-bench style guy. Um, now, in terms of the NBA, he played one game with the Rockets in 2013-14. Played 19 minutes in that game, had four points, five rebounds. That was it, though. That's that's all he ever played with the Rockets. Didn't play again that season, and then last season he became a coach. Um, Kevin McHale brought him up. He hadn't played in the NBA for two seasons before that either. And he was in the Euro League, if I remember. He right. was. He he won a Euro title, to be fair, with Olympiacos. He's a winner. So he's got he's got three rings. He's got, he's got rings, baby. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I have just a quote here. So this was basically, it seems, it seems so bizarre for him to have gone from being a player to one game season in Houston to then being a coach to then coming back to a player. Um. Mm. Last year, this was when he when he made the step up or decided to, he spoke to the Houston Chronicle. Um, they offered me the opportunity. I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I just came to Kevin McHale and said I was going to slow my way into it. Finally, I said, let's give it a chance and see where it goes. The staff has been really great about helping me, walking me through the process, being part of the meetings, being able to give input. It's been great. The players have been great in allowing me to tell them certain things. Um, asked if he would like to make a career in coaching, eventually as a head coach, Pell said, you have to aim for the sky. Whatever I get involved in, I give it my all. Well, I mean, if you think about it, bringing him in is, can't be a bad thing. I mean, he must have a really good mind for the game. How often do you have a guy who can't really play that well, get waived, but then have the organization say, actually, you know, you're not that good at playing basketball, but you clearly understand the game. How about you come join the coaching? Like, I, I, I don't know if I've ever heard of that before. I've heard of ex-players being coaches, obviously Jason Kidd and um, Derek Fisher. But it's just, I mean, he must have a pretty good mind for the game or something. The strangest thing mm -hmm. about all of it, I think when you hear it, you instantly think of 
you think of him as an older guy, and he is an older guy, but he's only 32 at the same time. And this isn't the, the sort of story or the sort of trajectory you normally see for, for 32-year-olds in the NBA, particularly 32-year-olds who've won a couple of titles. Uh, as you said, he mentioned he, we mentioned he won the, the EuroLeague title as well with Olympiacos. But on top of that, even going back further in his career, as a rookie, he made the finals um, with the Mavericks as well. So he has been sort of a rotation player. He's definitely been a backup, but he's been really successful with most of the teams he's been at during his time in the league. I guess we cried out earlier in the summer about maybe just how quickly the books were dispensing with veterans. Does this make up for it? I still I find it hard to wrap my head around just what the thinking is here. Because if they want Josh Powell as an assistant coach and Kidd has targeted him as someone who's young will relate to his young squad still, which is probably something that's important. Um, and he also feels he has a, a I suppose a smart enough basketball mind. Well why doesn't he approach Powell and get him to come straight over as an assistant coach? I mean, what is this sort of what is this dance they're doing with bringing him in to training camp and having him actually pull on a jersey again? Yeah. This would be a classic weird, shady Bucks move, just like when they brought in Kid and didn't really tell anyone, including Larry Drew. We just do things weird now, I guess. <laughs> well, like, the other thing, too, I mean, Houston was pretty successful last year. I mean, they were second or the second seed, and not even just Dwight. Well, Dwight missed a lot of time, but... They have some young guys that I'm assuming he worked with the bigger guy because obviously he's a big man himself. But uh, I think he was player know. development. Um, I might be wrong, but I think player development was his official title in the team, which is generally sort of it's a polite way. Okay, it is get, they get their hands dirty with the players and do a lot of the, the hard work, but it is sort of third, fourth assistant on the bench normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we don't know too, like. He could he could have had an injury and that kind of sideline like what his what he, if he wanted to play more or if he didn't get any offers so that's uh, that could be something but it's yeah it's I mean it's pretty kind of unprecedented obviously he's not a, a household name by any means but you I like Ty said I've never really heard of this at all yeah it does it feels it feels a little bit unprecedented. Um, yeah. And I guess that is the part of it where you're, there's there's just nothing to draw on from this, and that's why it's so hard to understand exactly what the thing <laughs> is. Maybe we're going to be completely caught off guard. And as I said, he is only 32. I mean, Copeland is 31. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of, that's some scary perspective here. He's not that old. Um, he maybe hasn't has never produced quite at the same level. As, as Copeland has done in his short time in the NBA. Um, but then again, I suppose as, as part of successful teams, he's played his part, um, and that, that's something important. I mean, just having a look here at the Rockets coaching staff. So lead assistant at the moment is J.B. Bickerstaff, who's fairly highly regarded around the, the league. Below that, you've got Chris Finch, Greg Buckner. I'd be lying if I said I knew these guys particularly well. Um, is, there, is there a limit? I mean, I'm I for coaching stats. I'm pretty. Uh, I don't. I'm not really that smart or really know like how many. 
coaches you can have a staff. Is it unlimited or? I'm pretty sure it's it... as many as you want to pay. Yeah. Mm. Um, There's only so many seats on the bench, but yeah, most coaching yeah. things it's really up to the or, the ownership. And if you want to pay, you know, three head coaches to all be assistants, you can do that too. It's just going to cost a hell of a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I mean, last year, the books had five assistant coaches. I'm going to say. Foster, Sweeney, what's Oppenheimer, Hughes. Is there one more? Joe Pronti. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that's five. Five. That's five. Yeah, they. I mean, that's pretty full. Yeah, that's stacked. I mean, I don't. I don't think that's a bad idea. I think that's probably. To be fair, it's probably the best way to do it, particularly, particularly with the way the books roster is shaped, and this year maybe even more so. With so many young players, the idea of having enough guys to go around so you can have a lot of focus, sort of one-to-one -one time, um, that's that seems like something that isn't a bad idea. It helps you to helps you get your ideas across, and that was something that was debated and discussed a lot early in the season, and I guess even towards the playoffs. Was how did the books manage to pick up kid system, particularly defensively, so so quickly? Um, mm. And even the guys who came in mid-season and with the trades, okay, the trades definitely did take their toll. There was a bit of a drop-off, but the wheels didn't come off the season altogether. They were still able to, to regroup and hang in there. Maybe a big part of that was the fact that he had such a big coaching staff. So there was enough time to go around and really make sure that everybody understand what they needed to do. And if there was problems with it, they could work it out. I don't know. It's it's gotta be interesting to see. I think if Powell if Powell comes in and doesn't really do anything in training camp and get doesn't make the team, and they don't bring him in as assistant coach, it's a really strange one. Um, you you have to feel there's gotta be some there's gotta be some agenda of some sort, or there's gotta be some way of thinking for for all of these guys. Um, and say someone like. Someone like Marcus Landry, someone like Charlie Westbrook, they're a bit unproven in the NBA, so there's a certain risk-reward risk you're, they're playing at there. And plus, as we've mentioned lots of times before, they're local guys, so there's an obvious appeal. It, it resonates with the fan base. Josh Powell, though, that's a little bit different. That's It's outside the box in terms of his thinking, so we'll see what way that one plays out. Um, to get back then, I suppose, to our main topic for the week, the most important thing for this week's podcast, and that is to have a look at the players who are going to be playing the tree for the books this year, the books small forwards. It's it's maybe the most uncertain position, well, between it and the four, I feel, on the roster. Um, obviously, the five point guards, and what way that shakes out, has its own question marks, but exactly what sort of depth there is, and what way that shapes up, that's a question in its own right. Um, we go through the, the small forwards as Yanis, Damian Inglis, Chris Copeland, and of course Marcus Landry, who's there on a training camp deal. We'll start with Yanis. Um, of course, Yanis is particularly busy at the moment. He's going to have had the, the toughest summer of any book um, I mean, that's taken into consideration the work he's clearly been doing in the gym from, it seems, the second the playoffs finished, uh, 
right through down to the significant number of international games. I'm trying to think now how many how many exhibition games he played for Greece this summer before. Yeah, yeah they had quite a number of tune-up games. I'm thinking it must be seven or eight. Don't forget the Team Africa Team World game. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's, that's another true. one. So, if they go deep in Eurobasket, which it looks like they could, um, Yanis is going to have had a lot of basketball this summer. It's sort of, I suppose, there's the, there's the positives and negatives to come from that. One is, as long as he isn't too tired, he should be should be able to hit the ground running once the NBA season comes around. Um, he might not have to feel his way in like some of the others with when you consider that Monroe is going to have to sort of find his role on the team and Jabari is going to still be injured, that's probably a good thing for the Bucks. Just have to hope that later in the season it doesn't pay its toll and start to wear down on him. Getting back to Giannis overall, though, um, for this season, we'll probably talk next week a bit more about his, his Eurobasket contributions just when Greece are a little bit further down the line. What do you guys... I guess the the big thing that that's everywhere at the moment about Giannis is he's one of most people's favorites around the league to make this this leap and um, to have a breakout year, this third year leap for Giannis. What exactly would a third year leap represent for you guys? Oh, I mm, he's such a weird. It's it's I don't know. I have such a hard time like wrapping my brain around like what would be considered a leap because I don't think he can hit like what we saw with like Paul George or definitely not Jimmy Butler because that was you know kind of crazy but he has a way of he can affect the game without really like putting up like uh, like a significant total of numbers because obviously he's such an all-around player that I feel like if he could just like get more comfortable, because that's one thing I've, I've noticed with Eurobasket, it's obviously international games, and you don't have much time to get, you know prep yourself and your national team and all that stuff. But he still feels like he's kind of wanting to get time in, and and that's just not how the team operates. But I feel like the Bucks they got better with that last year over time about trying to utilize Giannis and not having just does sit in the corner, which he still there are some plays that he did that, but I just feel like it, it's not necessarily about the stats sheet. It's just about his comfort level and just kind of just his awareness of getting more used to playing at an NBA level. Because frankly, before he came to the NBA, he wasn't even playing guys that would even make maybe NCAA squads. I mean, that's kind of being truthful. Definitely. So, I mean, he wasn't. The funny thing is, much like Damien Inglis, who we'll talk about later, Yanis didn't come from an, an elite European club, a real no. high-quality program. You're not looking at someone who played for Barcelona, Real Madrid, Sevilla, Olympiacos. There was none of that for Yanis. Um, he, he was playing... He was playing not far off sort of fairly competitive basketball that most teenagers would play around the world um, and nowhere near maybe the elite level that the best teens in the US would play at um, so that definitely was, that was a big a big jump for him what do you think Ty, what for you would rec 
What what would represent significant progress for Giannis this season in your eyes? I think for me it is going to be the stat sheet. Uh, I want to see more scoring from Giannis. The the physical gifts are there. Um, it's clear that he's got talent and potential and all that. But I just want to see him actually start to score points. Like I want to see 20 points a game from Giannis. That's like my one wish. That'll make me happy. Obviously, none of you are able to see this, but Ty has been sitting in complete darkness up until that point. And all of a sudden, when he said 20 points a game for Yanis, as if, as if my magic, the lights came on. Um, I'm buying into the third-year leap. Um, I don't know if that's just that the off-season has gone on too long, and I, I need NBA basketball, and I'm just looking for something to cling to. I really do feel like Yanis can make that significant progress this year. The biggest thing has got to be, much like what Jordan was saying, he's got to find his role and maybe force that a little bit more and just not be as afraid to take control. And that's got to be a confidence thing. And I wouldn't say Yanis is a guy who lacks confidence. Um, maybe up until now he has... He's understood and accepted his place within, I don't even want to say within the team, but within the whole dynamic of the roster too well. And maybe that is part of, I know this was something that Tony championed um, in the past of the podcast, but maybe that was part of the reason why guys like Zaza and Dudley and Ilyasova were all moved out, because if there isn't that sort of feeling of, I guess a clear divide between the veterans and the, and the the younger players. Well, then Giannis is going to be forced to maybe assert himself a little bit more in the group. I do think scoring is going to come into it. I'm very very curious to watch just how that plays out in terms of Eurobasket. Um, his first two games have been quite solid, but pretty pedestrian numbers. I mean, if this was how he started the season for the books. There would probably be widespread panic uh, across the city of Milwaukee. Um, I guess the thing with it is, Greece are looking pretty good without having clicked in any way to have beaten Croatia as they did. That's a big deal. That's a seriously talented team and a young mm -hmm. team as well. Um, so the way things are going at the moment, if everything goes to plan for Greece, they're going to go pretty deep in the competition. It's more basketball for Giannis, but I'd really like to see that because how nice would it be if Greece got to the final of Eurobasket and we get to see Giannis in a team with a trophy on the line and he's he's got to go for it. Or maybe that's the sort of situation where he's got to try and be the guy. And I think for Bucks fans, that sort of situation would be fascinating just to see how he deals with that, and particularly at the point in his development he's at now. Um I feel like he's capable of scoring more. I wonder, and this is an interesting question, should the Bucks look for him to do less of everything else, though? We'll touch on this a little bit later with one of the questions that comes up in the mailbag, but I feel part of the whole Yanis at centre, Yanis at point guard debate, sure he's highly skilled and seven foot so he can cover all five positions. 
Is it really in the book's interest that he does that, though? Should, should we just I... give short answers now and then go into it more later? Is that what we should do? Well, we'll go into it a little bit more. I mean, we have a question specifically about Yanis at centre later, which we, we'll, oh, okay. we'll touch on then. But I'm thinking, say, for example, let's let's talk about the point guard aspect of it. So this time last year, maybe it hadn't quite started. Maybe just the, the whispers were coming out. It was Gary Payton, wasn't it, who started it by working with Yanis about this time last year? Um, so the whispers came out about Yanis at point guard, and by the time preseason rolled around, this was a real thing. It was fairly short-lived as an experiment. I wouldn't, it wasn't, it was never really tried though. I mean, never had any sort of, never in any sort of meaningful way. Do you guys feel that's dead altogether or is that something that come back, could come back? And I guess more importantly than that, is it in the book's interest? Is it in Yanis' interest for him to be a playmaker? I mean, it's. I'm not talking about obviously if he's someone who can come in and create every now and then. That's great, but is there better ways for him to utilize his skills? I I mm, I don't think so. I think they have him in a uh, or not a point guard necessarily, but a point forward. I think that's what they kind of want to do. And it's not even just Giannis. I, I mean, I throw Jabari in there. I think. I think the Bucks ideally would like to see every position or every or yeah every position on the floor be able to create their own shots and create shots for others. And you kind of see that obviously the Monroe signing kind of hints at that even more. And we saw with Zaza too, but specifically with Giannis, I think that's what kind of could unlock the game. Even with uh, I think it was you know when John when John Hamlin was talking about. Giannis the center, you know, that was kind of what I think uh, caught a lot of people's attention. But buried in there, he was talking about like, you know, his awareness of finding the game, but just not even that. Like, the fact that he's such a good passer, he doesn't. He's a good dribbler, and like, you could get down the floor very obviously very well. But he, he's still like, you know, it's still he's only twenty. He has a little bit uh, more to grow in that sense. I just think I think it's in his best interest and in the best interest of the team to try to create him in that mold and try to make him more di- di- dimensional than just this you know guy that can score and has this you know freak athletic ability. I think this kind of plays into something I've been I guess you could say maybe struggling with or uh, trying to figure out. Soon there's got to be a time where we start more actively realizing that. Each got like a lot of players play two positions, a separate position on offense and on defense. There's a lot of players that'll offense like for example here, I, I cover the Kings, I edit a, a, a Royal Pain, it's a Sacramento Kings site. That's a shame. They could start, that's that's I mean, <laughs> they 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 could end up starting Willie Cauley Stein next to Demarcus Cousins. Demarcus Cousins is a center on offense, make no mistake. According to basketball reference, he's never played anywhere else positionally. He scores inside. It's what he does. If they try to make him play offensive power forward, it's the dumbest thing in a long line of dumb things that Kings have done. He's the best inside scorer in basketball. Let him do it. But on defense, Willie Cauley-Stein will be their center. He's one of the best interior, or well, any defender, but he's one of the best interior defenders you can find anywhere, and he hasn't even played an NBA minute yet. 
there's oftentimes they, they do it with guards a lot too. The Warriors will hide Stephen Curry if they're playing an elite point guard because Clay Thompson's much better defensively. If they have Russell Westbrook, they'll have Thompson cover Westbrook and they'll hide Curry on whatever shooting guard the Thunder are marching out that day. So I think there's an important distinction there between Giannis actually being a point guard and being able to cover any position, which is very, very important. It's something he should not ever shy away from. I think there's a difference, though, as well, between a player being able to switch both defensively and offensively, um, depending on the matchup, and him maybe being overburdened with responsibilities. Um, like Jordan said in describing Giannis there, it comes to a point where our, if we're, if they're looking for him to be more than a guy who can score and is freakishly athletic, can Yanis score right now, though? This is the place where, where I fall. It, it depends. I don't even know if it's, it comes to a stage where the books would have to define positions for, for their key pieces. But they may have to define roles. And a lot of that will probably happen naturally, and I guess a scorer will, will step up as the dominant guy. But... Yanis might be the hardest guy on the books roster for opponents to match up with. I mean, if anyone is going to develop to a point where he's close to unguardable, it's probably Yanis who will do that the easiest. Um, I don't know. I he's he's a great passer, and I that's never gonna that's never gonna leave his game. That's that's a natural ability he seems to have, and it's something that at any time in any game. He'd be able to dish the teammates, be able to make good decisions. It's just how often the books look for him to do that. And if it gets to a stage where when Kid draws up plays, that that's how he calls it. He's calling it in the way that Yanis is going to be the initiator. I don't know. I just have I, I have doubts over. It's going to come to a point where Yanis has so much potential and he's great all around. There's so very few guys who are the complete player, though. I mean, name players in the NBA right now who are complete, both both ends of the floor, all aspects of their game. You've got LeBron. Kawhi. Yeah, I'll give you both those guys. Um, yeah, AD. Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler now. Jimmy Butler, okay. Anthony Davis. Clay Thompson. Uh, I don't well, think Clay Thompson's quite. It sounds crazy he, considering that that game he had. I actually think it was against the Kings, was it? When he went absolutely crazy. Right, I'm not positive. Um. Point quarter. Yeah. 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 Um. I, I, agree I still don't think his offense is quite good enough. The interesting thing, yeah. I suppose, about that list is most of those guys, if you take LeBron and Anthony Davis out of there, oh, without, without being unkind to them, I mean it in the most complimentary way possible, they're really middle-of-the-road guys. And they, in their drafts in particular, um, like let me see out of that list, Paul George would have been the, he was the like highest. 10. And he was at 10, yeah. yeah which, I mean, 10 isn't sky high. Um, if it was a redraft, he'd go a lot higher than 10. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, the thing with all those guys, though, is they had similar, similar skill sets um, to Yanis, but they all kicked on at one point or another and showed they could score. I just don't know that the way the books 
play around Yanis the moment that he'd even get the opportunity to do that. Now, obviously, part of that comes into to what we mentioned earlier and him being more assertive. I'm not sure just yet if the books know how to best utilize Yanis, though. And that's not, that's not a criticism of them because he's a pretty unique player and I don't think even whatever potential they saw to take him when they did back in that draft, they probably didn't see him being quite the player that he was or they, they couldn't have anticipated his growth to continue like that now for him to bulk up um, for a guy whose attitude was quite as good as it was. I mean, you can hear as many stories, read as many scouting reports, you still won't get that full picture. I don't know. Do you guys feel I'm wrong in, in saying that? Do you think they know what they have in Yanis and the best way to move forward with him? I I just think when they look at Chris Middleton, I'm sure they have a clear definition of what he is. When they look at Jabari, they've got a clear definition of what he is. Especially, now, Tro, especially Monroe. Yeah, Tro, Tro Monroe and Tro Michael Carter-Williams into that mix as well. They might know exactly where Michael Carter-Williams' talent is going to pan out, but they know the role they want them and how they want them to play. It's just a matter of whether he can perform at the high or low end of that scale. Yanis is the guy that I don't think they quite know what they have yet. And the fact that we've debated this before backs that up. I mean, Ty, you're you're fairly convinced that Yanis is the star of this team, aren't you? Yes. Where I know I lean towards Jabari. I, know, I, I think you've leaned towards Jabari before, but I don't know, Jordan, are you pretty... Is it too close to call on you on that, or who do you see going forward as being the go-to guy? I would say too close to call, just because Jabari missed so much time. If you take Jabari's injury out of it, if we assume he comes back to full health... Oh. <sighs> I'd probably lean Jabari, but it's very close. Yeah, it is close, but I, I'm the same. I lean Jabari. And part of that might just be that, even for me, I don't, I just don't know what you do with Giannis. Yeah, um, the thing about it for me is that I think Giannis has the higher ceiling of the two, but Jabari has a lot more chance of reaching his ceiling than Giannis does. Jabari already has the body. He's, he's bigger now, too. He bulked up as well, and he's a time away from um, playing. But, I mean, he's he could easily turn into Kevin Love fairly soon. And there's there's my fun cross-race comparison that's actually pretty accurate. Um, Jabari was a turnstile in the games he played. His defense was pretty bad. But he can rebound, and he can shoot and score a bit like Kevin Love could. Jabari... I mean, Giannis, to what you were saying before, I don't think anyone, including Giannis, well, Giannis thinks he's going to be the best ever. He said that a few times, which I love about Giannis. No one knows what it's going to look like when he becomes that. No one knows if he's going to suddenly pick up a shot like Jason Kidd ended up doing, if he's just going to continue to beat people with athleticism and just get big and LeBron it and just take people down in the paint. I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm the, the biggest Giannis champion I've talked to in a while. I do think that if this team wins the title, Giannis is going to be the first option. He has to develop into superstardom. I don't know what it'll look like, though. I have no idea. I just know it's going to be pretty spectacular because I've just seen his work ethic, uh, his raw talent, and already he's just turned 20. Or did he just turn 20 or 21? He's still 20, I think. He's about to turn 21. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah, he turns 21 in December, I think. Um, but anyway, he's young. That's the point. 
But I, I just think it's going to be something fantastic, and I think the scoring will come. He'll figure out ways to do it. He's just too big and fast not to. If he gets a shot, it's just going to be sad. The Kawhi comparison's interesting, and the reason I think that is because even when you think back to Kawhi and how he played, and even when you look at his numbers, you can see a, a really clear crossroads of where he can go one way or another. And I suppose in a way, he's still at that crossroads. He's maybe just coming out on the right side of it, um, but he could come back a little bit more. Now, if we go back, we go back two seasons, so to the year where Spurs win the title, he ends up finals MVP. He was about as good a specialist as you can get. And that, yeah. that goes for the playoffs, too. Um, I mean, in the playoffs... He was ridiculous. He was. He averaged 14.3 a game, 6.7 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 1.7 steals, though. Yeah, his numbers weren't crazy. He was ridiculous. Now, obviously, there was a whole lot more than that because he was guarding LeBron James for long periods of time, and that's that's something that doesn't show up quite the same way. But part of what allows him, obviously a massive part, and maybe even the biggest part of what allowed him to go on and give a finals MVP-worthy performance was the fact that he had such a strong supporting cast around him. And mm. that's that's probably a case where you might have had the best role player in the NBA in that year. Well, he actually had the best team around him as well, so that was just going to be magic. Now, the difference is, from his regular season that year, he averaged 12.8 points, 6.2 rebounds, 2 assists, 1.7 steals... Well, this season he kicked on to average 16.5 points, 7.2 rebounds, 2.5 assists, and a whopping 2.3 steals. Which led the NBA. Yeah, that's the big jump. And I think it's not unfair to say that people see another jump in Kawhi. They can see him being the 20-point scorer. Um Does Giannis have, I guess, does Giannis, if Giannis has the first jump in him to get to a 16.5 points, maybe six rebounds even a game sort of guy, does he have another gear beyond that? It's, it's going to be fun to watch that. And just these two guys are kind of in similar situations this year. Kawhi is more exemplified, but both of them are forwards who their team wants them to step up. Uh, Pop's been very, very vocal about that. I don't remember exactly when or why he said it, but at one point um, someone asked him about you know the big three or whatever. He said, screw the big three. Kawhi is our big one. He wants Kawhi Leonard to be the next guy. Um, Jason Kidd's never been that vocal about anything in his life except winning on his blog. But he's. it seems that Giannis is, should step up. I mean, it's the general consensus around Milwaukee that he, he needs to be take a leap soon. But they both just got these big scoring big men brought in who are going to take a lot of offensive load. I mean, the Spurs got LaMarcus Aldridge in case you live under a other 29 teams rock, and the Bucks have Greg Monroe. Both of those guys are going to take a lot of touches. I mean, even in San Antonio, if you think LaMarcus Aldridge isn't going to take a lot of shots, you're probably crazy. Uh, Greg Monroe will too. I mean, now that he finally gets to be a real center, he's, probably, he's thrilled. He, he's said as much. Um, I don't know if the skill level is comparable yet. Giannis isn't there yet, but he is a defensive first forward who in his first two seasons hasn't scored very much, much like Kawhi Leonard. 
Uh, I don't think he'll win finals MVP this year, but if the comparison wants to bear out that well, then I'm fine with it. Just to sidetrack us for a little second here, because you mentioned JasonKidd.com. This is completely unprepared. Once again, I may have slacked off my research. I hadn't done it in advance. But I am am now on JasonKidd.com. Oh, boy. And we have a new post. Oh, baby. How Coach Kid Starts Stacks Up. So this seems like... Basically. This is a comparison piece um, between him and quite a lot of other coaches. Um, let me see a lot of detail here. Who wrote this one? Is this the same guy? Can't see an author. May- Interesting. No author on this one. But anyway. Maybe so, it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So he gets compared to Rick Carlisle. Oh, then, okay. Then Steve Clifford. Then Brad Stevens, Doc Rivers, Greg Popovich. Okay. We're now pop signals moving up a gear, okay? So then it's Phil Jackson. Oh, wow. Gary Sloan, Larry Costello, and Don Nelson. What, no red Arbok while we're at it? <laughs> That's probably next week. Um, <laughs> Why wouldn't he take the layup and take the Derek Fisher comparison? That's what I would have done. That's My a big <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess. He's trying to sell himself to something great. I mean, a Derek <laughs> Fisher comparison doesn't do that. Even He wouldn't have done that to himself as a point guard, so I don't think he's going to do that as a coach. Comparison. Is it really? I think it's more apt than comparing him to Phil I think I think I'll Steve, Steve Clifford and Brad Stevens, I think, as in two coaches who are new enough to the league have had successful starts. Sort of with Clifford, but yeah. He, uh, he yeah, had a successful season. start. Okay. Yeah, last season didn't yeah, go after, plan. after those two, I was like, okay, this is a good list, and then he started whipping out legends. Yeah, then it went Doc Rivers, Pop, Phil Jackson, Jerry Sloan, Costello, Don Nelson. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't, I'm not a fan of this article. I haven't read it. Maybe, maybe I'll read it and I'll change my mind. <laughs> Sorry, this is the sound of me reading here because I think he's. I, th- I think I he's getting favorable comparisons to somebody. We'll move on. This is one for everyone. If you're listening, you need to go and investigate for yourself. This could be its own blog post. JasonKid.com. How Coach Kid Starts Stacks Up. Check it out. Where were we? Um, <laughs> Kawhi, Giannis. We're still talking about Giannis. about Giannis. It was Jordan. Can you remember? It was your turn to talk. What were you about to say? Uh, was it comparisons? Were you going to compare Giannis to maybe Larry Bird? That way we're going with the comparisons next. No, no. I actually, I am. I feel like the Kawhi comparison is one that I have thought about, but the one that I, I. Maybe because he's he's international as well, so they kind of it's in that same category. But the Nick Batum uh, comparison really hits me hard because I just think that I feel like Batum doesn't have like the at, like the freakish ability that Giannis has, but I think people 
Well, especially after last year, people really kind of lost like what kind of how good of a player Batu is, and I feel like Giannis could hit that even more, but not necessarily be like. Uh, I mean, this is definitely well. This could be Jason Kidd level like comparison, but like I, I think everybody thinks that it, the ceiling of Giannis is Scottie Pippen. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's really that. Bad, so. I know, and I it's I think that's I don't know for personally for me, I just don't see that, and I think I don't think he necessarily needs to be that. I think he. I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's just such a hard thing to predict. See, I like, think this is it. There's there's so many question marks still, and it's only time is gonna tell. And um, it's just how soon that we we'll get some of these answers is the interesting thing. As I said at the start, I really really hope that Greece get deep in Eurobasket because I'd I'd love to see him. I'd love to see him under real pressure because, okay, he had the playoff experience, but it was a first-round exit, and for the most part, the books were out of that series. I guess it was only towards the end where they clawed their way back in, and they didn't cover themselves in any pride with the way they bowed out in, in the final game. Um, if it gets to the stage where it's semifinals, if it's if it's the final of Eurobasket, I just... That's going to be the biggest game of Yana's career so far. I'd like to see how he reacts. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel on that. I, I don't know. There's, there's, there might be a cultural thing in between that as well, and the, the difference in relating to international basketball, maybe to, to, to NBA or club basketball. But if I even translate it to the way people in Europe generally feel about their soccer teams. The pride of playing for your country, and I think that is something which absolutely carries over to you guys in the states. That's a big deal, and I think to to Yanis and to those Greek players, particularly with the way things have been for Greece as a country in recent times, if they make a good run at that, it's going to be a lot of pressure, a lot of eyes on them. It's going to be a situation we haven't quite seen Yanis in, so that would be fascinating. Um, I want you to do a Nick Batum Yanis comparison article, Jordan. Oh! If you're if you're brave enough, because I, I, mean, think, I, I think they'll, I could do they'll it. come at you with the pitchforks, but I want to read that because <laughs> I I see it. I see that comparison. I guess if that's low end of the scale, that's not that bad. You just have to hope that Jabari then becomes everything you want Jabari to turn out yeah. to be. If if this is to be a championship team, um, but. There's definitely there is a similarity there with that one. We'll move on from Yanis probably because, let's face it, we're going to talk a lot about Yanis throughout the season. Yanis um, yeah. is going to get all the time in the world to shine. This is this is the time where we designate a little a little bit of airtime to some of the lesser lesser known or the lesser lights of the books roster. Um, where will we go next? We go to maybe the most hyped player never oh, to have played no. a game in the NBA. Oh, no. um, Damien Inglis. <laughs> to be fair, I'm joking about that because I feel like there's been enough caution thrown out there from so many different quarters now that 
people have started to tame their expectations on Inglis a little bit. Um, I don't know, coming into definitely last season, maybe it's just this thing, it's the suspense. It's They saw this guy drafted, he's injured, he wasn't going to play for a while, and I guess the longer that, longer that Bucks fans had to wait for Damien Inglis, the more mythical he became as, as a figure in in their minds. Uh, you know when it started? It started after Giannis got really good and the team got good. That's when it started. Before Giannis, like somewhere, I don't know, early to mid last season, before people started realizing just like how crazy good he could be, there really wasn't that much Damien English talk. But after that happened, everyone was like, whoa, we have another one of these European wing guys who we don't know about. It must be the same thing. And then everyone was like, oh, we got two Giannis's, but it's probably not a thing. Yeah, because as we all know, traditionally these European second round draft picks work out really well for all parties, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We've talked about English quite a bit around the time of summer league. I guess the difference between that is, I do, I genuinely feel expectations have cooled off a little bit, and that's great because if English actually is another Yanis. Well, then he might actually have a chance to develop that way without this incredible, ridiculous pressure on him from day one when he's coming back from injury. Hasn't played, I'm going to say, hasn't played any sort of meaningful basketball in his career. Because we've been through this before. We talked about um, Yanis coming into the NBA and mentioned it earlier. It's the same same scenario. English wasn't playing for a, a European heavyweight. He wasn't competing for titles in Europe. He was playing in the second and third tier, if I'm not wrong, in France. I think it was, yeah. Um, so he has a big jump to make. Um, the guys over at Brew Hoop, they've been doing their roster rankings and counting down over the last few weeks. And I must say, when, when I saw that Inglis came in at 13th, maybe a little sadistically, I was very happy. Um, well, I mean, it is, it's good for him too, though. It's, it's good he for him. But I mean, it's behind Johnny O'Brien, or it's ahead of Johnny O'Brien and Tyler Ennis only, in a real sense. I don't think Gutierrez even figures here. Um, but it's ahead of O'Brien too. A lot of people have strong feelings about. Um, Which is kind uh, of ridiculous. I mean, that's a sidetrack, but that's kind of ridiculous. I mean... Uh, that's he, maybe because he started and it was just such a weird thing. I think it's a hundred percent. He's a role player. It's Should because he started though. Right that's when once. <laughs> Go on, guys. Of the no, I'm saying like of the. Should, should, I just I just wonder what you guys think if we if we right now very quickly did a one through fifteen. How quickly we gonna do this? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it wouldn't be that quick. What about how about yeah. just bottom five? Ten through fifteen, not counting Gutierrez. Even just who are the lowest five, I guess. Because I think if we're not counting Gutierrez, I'd probably have English at like the bottom. Well, no, Plumley then English. Yeah, I think then... I have Plumley uh, fifteen. Go on, you go first. Go on. I'd say Plumley English. Um, uh, it's can I have a tie between Ennis and O'Brien? I don't know why people like Ennis so much more, as though Ennis was like the best player ever. He still couldn't shoot. 
So yeah. I'd say tie between those two, and then I don't know Copeland next. I'm trying to think, maybe eh? yeah, probably Copeland next. To be honest, I think there's an obvious one you're missing there, which maybe. Are you thinking Bayless? You know how I feel about Bayless, but I'm not thinking Bayless. This one is probably a lot more controversial. But I'd go Plumley. Yeah. Would I go Plumley? No, actually, I wouldn't because Plumley was good in in Phoenix. Um, I go. Yeah, maybe. You know what? Inglis. Inglis is the least valuable player who's likely to make the roster right now, based off the complete zero evidence. Hasn't even played at college level. So I go Inglis. I'll go Rashad Vaughn. Oh, I don't like that. Are we talking like skill level or value? We're talking value, right? Yeah. I would put Vaughn. I mean, Vaughn was a, a first round pick this year. Now, okay, when we're talking value as well, there's two different things. Are we talking value to the team or value as an asset? I think you kind of have to weigh them. I, I say you have to weigh them together. I mean,. Okay, because I think they're two very different things. Right now, he's he would definitely have great value as an asset, but his value to the team coming in this season, I'm not convinced of. That's not a knock on him, but he's not a superstar, and he's we're comparing him to guys who at least have a year under their belt. Um, yeah, I'd probably go, look, it's close, and this is the problem we have, is that the lower end... Because the back end of the book's roster isn't the greatest. So this is all very yeah. tight between them. But I would go... Yeah, I'd go... Inglis, Vaughn... I'm going to say Ennis. I'm going to say Plumley, And then I'm going to say Johnny O'Brien. And that's... That's because probably that's people are not hard on Johnny O'Brien, but at the end of the day, those starters minutes you've got to feel will stand to him this year. Maybe this is maybe this is too soon to talk about this just after yeah. that workout video that came out this week. Let's, <laughs> let's not pretend. Let's not leave this there like the elephant in the room. Um. Johnny O'Brien released the workout video of a superstar this week. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't even be... I mean, the music. The music is what... The music is the most important part of the whole video. Because it's it's what gets rid of my scepticism. Because you can see when it's being cut strategically and when it's not. And there was plenty of songs that we got a full run through without, without a Johnny O'Brien miss. So... It's all about the music, and it wasn't lying to us in that video. Um, yeah, at least at least O'Brien, like this, the work ethic is obviously there. I mean, the attitude is. I mean, he didn't he didn't like implode. He wasn't good, but he didn't. Implode. No, he never buckled under being a starter thing. I mean, anything. Yeah, he knew. He knew. You could tell he knew in his heart that he wasn't ready for it, but he also knew that there wasn't another option and that he had to do it for a while. I think that's important. That's Plus, he was coming off of his own injury. Like, he sprained his knee in preseason. Yeah. And the first yeah, game he played, you're, you're starting. Like, <laughs> after, yeah, I mean, that's, it, they handled it ridiculously, but I think people, like, latched on to it, like, really strongly. It's like, this guy was a second-round pick. He's maybe, at most, a 
a mid-tier role player, but they acted like he was like one of the worst bucks to suit up in the history of the team. It's like, oh, man. To get back to Inglis, because we'll talk Johnny O'Brien next week, but that's an interesting point and the way that relates to him. They couldn't have handled Johnny O'Brien much worse as in terms of, let's see how we can bet in a second-round pick and make him valuable to the team. The solution to that is not throw him in at the deep end and start yeah. him on a team that's actually doing surprisingly well. So not only is he in on a team that, you know, not only is he starting on a team, but he started on a team that had started pretty well. So, oh, yeah, if this goes wrong, he's going to get a lot of heat for it. Yeah, um, that's the, as the fall guy. Just, the Bucks just lost Jabari, so they I, maybe it was just thinking like, oh, we did with Jabari, let's do, maybe we can do it with Johnny O'Brien. It's like... Yeah, nah, not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it all does. about the this too. I mean, who was who was the rebounder that just got picked up that we talked about the other week? Who played for the Bucks in the 15 win year? I'm blanking on his name. He came. Oh, Jeff Adrian. Adrian. Yeah, Jeff Adrian. I remember watching Jeff Adrian in the 15 win year, and I was like, this guy can really rebound. He's he's like a career five minute per game guy. I was like, we I really got can, something. I think he can really rebound though. He yeah. can really rebound. But you watched him in the 15 win year, and you were like, "Wow, we got we got a really good piece in this trade." If Jeff Adrian had to start last year and played the same as he played the year before, everyone would have tore apart Jeff Adrian too. I guarantee it. Maybe Jeff Adrian's more polished. He's definitely more polished than Johnny O'Brien, who was coming off an injury. But a, a lot of it is perspective too. Mm. I mean, I don't even know because this is this is certainly not my area of expertise outside of the window which is draft time where I sort of bury myself in draft research and watch countless hours of video on guys but what sort of role had J.O.B. even got at LSU? Do either of you guys know? Was he... Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I don't really know. I'm pulling up his college stats right now. So am I. At least, uh, if we don't know, we can at least pretend we know. <laughs> he was good. He played three years. Um, it doesn't have game study, but he played 21 minutes per game, then 29, then 30. He shot 46% in college, 22% uh, from three. Scored 15.4 a game his last year with 7.7 .7 rebounds, 1.6 assists, uh, half a steal, and almost one block. So he wasn't. He definitely wasn't terrible in college. I don't think he was really? terrible as a book, to be fair. He was a really good We're defender. Talking, I mean, there's, there's perspective. And there's there's a perspective that's really important, and that's that terrible in the NBA still makes you a really good basketball player. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no guy who makes it here is in any way not a really talented Genuine, generally hard-working as well. I mean, obviously there's exceptions to that, but most of the guys who reach this level, they work to a certain, to a certain standard anyway. Um, did I did I not move us off Job and we got back to him? Yeah, I you moved so. us off. What happened here? We need something. I said we're done talking about Job, <laughs> but then again about Job. Yeah, <laughs> but well, where I was going with that was again about Job. Is that not the example of exactly how the book shouldn't handle Damien Inglis? Oh, there you go. I see. Because. Exactly. And they did it and, anyway. And you said circumstance. They did it in summer league anyway. Yeah. 
You said circumstance dictates it, though. They don't have the greatest depth at small forward. They have the worst depth at small forward. I was being nice, but... It's, it's, I mean... God, God forbid, okay? So, let's say we're 20 games into the season... And I'm I'm at a desk right now, so I'm I'm repeatedly tapping wood here. But Yanis goes down with an injury and misses the season. And then Inglis gets thrown into a starting role. You've got Inglis and Copeland. Okay, you have other options because you can move Middleton up and bring Mayo in or but look, we saw this last year, you can have these different options and then you have one big injury, and then you have on and off injuries for other guys, and you sort of get left with no options. Inglis would absolutely become the fall guy if he ended up in a similar role to what Johnny O'Brien had last year, wouldn't he? Probably. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, the thing, okay, the thing we've got to give to Inglis, and yeah, I'm going to talk about Summer League for a second, but... He did in his limited his limited minutes in summer league. He did shoot fifty percent from deep. Now, anyone who watched summer league, or if you've got any memory of it, you remember that sort of came in bursts because he. I'm pretty sure he had one game where he looked completely unstoppable from deep, and then some of the others he couldn't hit a barn door with a banjo. Um. <laughs> I don't know if that saying even translates to you guys. You get how it goes. Um, his overall field goal percentage, on the other hand, was 29.4%. Oh. And then if we're, to, if we're to be real about it for a minute, okay, so... For... For his time in Europe, let me see if I got overall numbers here. I don't. For his most recent season in Europe, played 27 games, and this was with Chiral Rohan Basket. The very famous whatever you just said. I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm guessing they're second division. I'm pretty sure they are. Um. Played 27 games, started 8, averaged 15.3 minutes a game, 4.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 1 assist, uh, while shooting shooting 49.5% from the field, 38.7% from deep. Wow. So and good shooting numbers. No. Good, sh- good shooting numbers, yeah, shorter 3-point line. Um Good shooting numbers, but nothing else is impressive there, really. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I, I've written a couple articles about him, and obviously, it's very hard to judge what kind of player he is when he hasn't even played. <laughs> but uh, I just, I think. Do you think he could have gone higher if he in the draft if he didn't have his foot injury? Because I, I think he could have. Probably, because like anything, like I always say, there's always a crazy team out there. Um, but yeah. how good were his workouts? Yeah, that's what I'm, it must, he must have been, re- either that or Hanlon and the scouts really thought they saw something in his Europe film. 
Because, I mean, his numbers show nothing, really. No. I mean, okay, so the, the year before that, the year before we're talking, 2012-13, he averaged 15.6.7.2 rebounds, four, over four assists, 1.3 steals. I'm going to double-check this now, but I'm pretty sure that was the third tier in France. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Um, so, I mean, it's not the NBA. <laughs> It's it's not it's it's not even anywhere close to to college. I mean, it's not a it's not a small school. It's not a a lower division in in college basketball. You're not talking about sort of a mediocre program. It's below that level comfortably. And sure, Inglis has made it to the NBA now, so obviously he has talent. So if you're a guy that has even close to NBA level talent, and you're playing against that sort of caliber of opponent, you're going to do pretty well for yourself, and I think that's what happened. Um, his workouts must have been crazy good. Yeah. For the injury not to completely put a halt on him. Maybe part of it, of course, people buy into... People buy into character. They buy into... He's only 20. His age. Yeah. Physical attributes, most definitely with English, play into it. Um... It's a strange one, though. The fact that he probably would have gone higher. Especially considering that was a pretty heavy second round that year. All taken after uh, English, who was the first pick of the second round. You got KJ McDaniels, Clay Anthony Early, who hasn't done much, but still. Jeremy Grant, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Walter Tavares, Jordan Clarkson, and uh, Corey Jefferson, I guess. So that's pretty stacked for a second round of a draft. Those are some pretty decent players that went after him. Yeah, because for second rounds, a lot of the time what will happen is guys emerge over time. Well, yeah, of course. Well, not to be more than... We're only just over 12 months detached from that draft. And there's some very notable names there. Well, I think uh, Clarkson was an all-rookie first team. Or, uh, first team all-rookie, wasn't he? Yeah. He should have been if he if, wasn't. If Noddy was second. He, yeah, if Noddy was second, he definitely got a, a rookie consideration of some sort. Yeah. Um, McDaniel's made a big splash early in the season. Yeah. I mean that's that's a that's a strong list, so yeah. I mean they're they're guys if you're talking mm, McDaniels, I know some people who watch them closely in Philly, my impression of them is wow. KJ McDaniels looks looks unbelievable. This guy really looks great. And then when I actually spoke to people who, God help them, watched every single uh, Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> game last year, they were like, there's a reason McDaniels is gone, and everyone will see it over time. He's not quite what the numbers show him to be. Um, now, whether that's true or not, the numbers he was putting up last year, well, they look like the sort of numbers that the books could have done with that small forward. Um, yeah. What is a realistic expectation? Or then, if we're, if we're worried about Inglis being thrust into the limelight or rushed into a spot that's maybe a little bit too soon for him, what is the best way for the books to deal with him this year? Make sure he's fully healthy. I think, yeah. I think that... I just think that his foot injury, which I think he also suffered in a, a workout for the Thunder, so they have a little... Uh, you know, 
bad history with feet right now too. But uh, what I are think you suggesting, uh, Jordan. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Jordan's saucy this week. <laughs> but I just think you get you can't you can't, he's not where Jabari is. Obviously, they highly value Jabari, and that makes total sense. But you can't do you. You should do the same with Inglis because you never know where he could be. He could be a really good role player if that ceiling eventually comes. But just to make sure that he's fully healthy and not over um, over play him and in in case that he you know there could be another setback. I think it's very it's kind of a cop out, but it's just for what he is, for what happened with him and stuff like that. It's just the safe way to go. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the the only expectation I have is that they ease him back in, and I mean very gently ease him. He's got to come back to NBA basketball, which summer league does not count. I'll say it straight out. People say all the time, you know, you see on Instagram, oh, here's his first NBA points. Well, yeah, technically his first NBA summer league. They, they, oh, teams share that stuff all the time. His first made basket in the I mean, NBA. Teams, that's that's just they're just putting spin on stuff. But well, I mean, of course they are. But I mean, if that's, any that's if any real matter. individual person who's allowed to have an opinion said that, you need to name and shame them, Ty. Ah, uh, I, I wouldn't want to go past just team accounts. Uh, there could have been, but I, I've been commentators say it too on the games. They're paid. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the NBA makes it a thing, but it's not a thing. It's they're trying hard. Different. They're trying, but it's not working. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to see him have more than a few minutes a game at first. I mean, he's got a, he's got a. You don't want to just throw this guy in the NBA. That's like the coldest water ever. You got to dip some toes in first before you can get into this. It's faster. It's clearly the most skilled players in the world. I mean, you go from matching up against other draft picks and Europe guys and fringe guys in the summer league to you know, even just in the East, LeBron James. Paul, George, I mean, the talent level is insane, and he's not going to be ready right away, just like Johnny O'Brien wasn't, although he had to start. I'd like to see him handle the opposite way. Bring in Inglis and garbage time off the end of the bench and just let him get some minutes and get his feet under him before you let him do anything meaningful. I honestly don't know why the books signed Inglis. I don't know why... Sure, they could have encouraged him to move to Milwaukee. He wasn't going to play anywhere last year with his injury, and they could have helped him rehab. Um, but particularly the fact that they don't have a D-League team, I think he's still a season of full competitive play away from being a real factor. I, I mean, if they could have helped him rehab last year and this year helped him to find a spot on a real European team, where you going to... Sorry? Oh, I just said Seville would have been a good one. Yeah, I mean, it, that's. I don't think he's anywhere near that level. I mean, no, that's, true. that's that's pretty close to. I mean, teams like Seville, Real Madrid, Barcelona, they can hold their own wow. against. They can hold their own against NBA teams on any given night. I mean, they're really high-level professional guys, but even to be on one of the teams in the lower echelon of the leagues where they play. Um, I mean, the Liga Endesa, where the top Spanish clubs play. Any team in that league where you're facing that sort of caliber of players every week, you're getting used to professional basketball at the top level. That would help. D 
ideally would be ideal for England. I just don't think they should give him a whole lot of minutes at all. Um, I'd be giving him very close to zero minutes unless he really shows a lot. Unless in practice you're going, wow, this guy is better than Chris Copeland by by a really large distance already. Or there's days where he gives Yanis nightmares defensively or with his offensive game. Unless something like that happens, I'd be inclined to give him garbage minutes close to nothing at all. And just let him feel his way into it. And then next year, the joy of it will be everyone will have forgotten about Inglis. They'll have written him off, go, oh, what a waste of pick that was. And then maybe he'll be ready to come in and actually have a real role. And that's when some more of the older guys, the likes of Mayo, Bayless, come off the books and Milwaukee will need younger guys to step up again. So that's got to be the goal. This year isn't when they need guys like Inglis to be ready to contribute. Next year, though, the aim has to be you've drafted Vaughn, you've drafted Inglis. You need to get contributions out of them 12 months from now. It's not all about the now with those guys. So that's the way I'd see it with Inglis. And to move on to Chris Copeland. Very simply, what Chris Copeland are we going to get this season? Mm, I think it's going to be... I think he hits what he did with New York. I think with his, you know, a truly life-threatening situation, and uh, I just think he's better. He's. I don't know when I saw that he didn't. His numbers were very disappointing with Indiana last year. Is it, it was really confusing because obviously he had more time, but at the same time they really Indiana last year was such a. Not even just with George, but you lost Lance Stevenson. Roy Hibbert was you know he had his own troubles obviously. Uh, David West, he was coming. He was in his last year of his contract, and certainly he's had a lot of minutes himself. I feel like the the team that the Bucks have is perfectly suited for him to gel and hit numbers that can closely resemble, hopefully, what he did in New York, and not have him be like a significant or have the expectation for him to significantly contribute to the team in order for them to win. So that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I would agree with that. I think he's going to come on a little slow. Um, I just didn't take him a little while to get to adjust to everything and just coming back to basketball again. But uh, I don't expect him to, to um, have a little, I don't know, if a craze was around him in his time in New York. He's like 28-year-old rookie year, however it worked out. I mean, there's a little bit of a craze. It was, oh, Chris Copeland came out of nowhere, really good role player. I don't think that's going to happen again. But I think people around Milwaukee will say, well, you know, he's hustling. He, he makes a difference. He fills, he fills in the gaps, but he doesn't really jump out and make you say, wow, we need to lock down Chris Copeland for the next three years or anything like that. I think I'm going to stick with something that I wrote, I think it was before he signed. Um probably at some point in the endless two weeks where the Copeland rumor was just lingering. Um, uh, that is that it's going to depend what players are around them because it's as simple as if Copeland doesn't make three-pointers, he was a bad signing. He doesn't bring enough of anything else. 
that the Bucks can afford for him not to make three pointers at his career average is thirty seven point three. I think he's gotta hit at least that and they really need him to be touching forty because he's the specialist guy on the roster as such. Um I I I don't know if they'll get him to that point. I really don't. Um as I wrote about in that piece at the time, a big part of of Copeland getting quality looks and making them was probably the fact that he had six man J.R. Smith uh scoring leader Carmelo Anthony. Even he had an anchor in the middle like Tyson Chandler. Um he had Jason Kidd running the point, so one of the smartest point guards the league has ever seen. Uh, that's a lot of factors that help you to get really efficient, high-quality looks. I don't quite know if the books have enough to give him that yet, uh, particularly in the lineups he's going to be in. Um, chances are he could be seeing time with Vasquez... Possibly they could he could be part of a small lineup where it's Vasquez, Bayless as as the backcourt, Mayo at the three, he could be the four, and Henson at the five. If he finds himself playing in lineups like that, don't mind making three pointers. He'd be doing well to get opportunities to shoot three pointers because there's gonna be a lot of other guys who wanna get their shots. Um <laughs> It's a tough one. I hope it works out well. It's low risk in terms of what he was signed for in actual dollar amount. But I don't know, that was an important roster spot and we'll we'll wait and see if, if Copeland was the right guy to fill it, I guess. Um he's not a defensive stalwart by any stretch of imagination. His offensive rating was eighty eight last year though. Bad team, I know, no Paul George. Lance Stevenson gone, so you're you're looking at a team that was basically being run by George Hill, David West, and Roy Hibbert. But 88. I mean, they still pushed playoffs. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't abysmal. They didn't play terribly. They stuck to their defensive philosophy, and well, it wasn't a complete dumpster fire yeah. like it should have been. But even even in their best, I mean. I'll also say his defense, his defensive rating was 106. So. That's a net rating of minus 18. Yeah, that's terrible. But it wasn't like Indiana was like a, a true offensive force, even with uh, Stevenson and Paul George fully healthy with that lineup. I mean, they were pretty – I want to say the year before, they were like 22nd. So it wasn't like we we're talking about like a huge drop-off. Indiana was really kind of a – pedestrian offensive team but it's still disappointing numbers nonetheless well I mean yeah you look at that starting lineup if you say it's what Hill uh, Stevenson Paul George uh, David West and Roy Hibbert those are all defense guys I mean yeah. it's a really good defensive team for a reason Frank Vogel is a defensive minded coach and that may mm -hmm. have led to that but those are all really good defenders I mean Paul George can score Lance Stevenson can score a bit they're not incapable offensively, but that's no make no mistake, that's a defensive first team. Well let's mm -hmm. let's pull Roy Hibbert's numbers as an example. I mean, last year 
Roy Hibbert had identical offensive and defensive ratings, and that was 101 each. Wow. So considerably better, 13 points better per 100 possessions on offense than Copeland, and five points better defensively. And that was a player who was very much maligned um, by Pacers fans, by the Pacers organization. I don't think they were convinced that he was giving the best of his efforts, and there was definitely a, a degree of sort of quitting on what yeah. they felt his talents were in the first place. So that doesn't look too pretty for Copeland. Let's hope we don't get that. Let's hope there's something something much yeah. better. 40% three-point shooting, please, Copeland. That would be nice. <laughs> um, very, very quickly, there is one other small forward in the roster at the moment, and that is Marcus Landry. Likely to only be on a training camp deal, but who knows? My feeling is at the moment, with the way the roster's shaped, he probably has the best chance of any guy at training camp. Do you guys agree with that? Definitely. Yeah, better than Josh Powell. Um, I like Charlie Westbrook, but there's just so many guards right now. That it's that's it's just the amount of guards, guards I think, that makes uh, that, that one. That's a really tough spot to get into. Yeah. Um, mm. I think small forward is relatively open. Yeah, I think that's that's the spot I'd like to be if I was heading into training camp, if I could be a small forward, I'd go, okay, if I if I come out and perform, there's a real chance here for me. Well, uh, I the one thing, the one unexpected guy we might see there for a bit, I wrote about this today, is uh Grievous Vasquez, who is I mean he's primarily a backup point guard, but only fifty six percent of his minutes by position have come at the point guard spot over his entire career. Uh, two stints of that, I want to say Sacramento and Memphis, 15% of his time was at small forward. So he has played a bit at the three before, and I mean, you, you don't want to start him there, but I think he might be the option before O.J. Mayo if the coaching staff is paying attention. I guess that depends on... It depends on the matchup, really, doesn't it? I don't... I honestly don't yeah. know. Defensively... <laughs> I don't know if you've LeBron... <laughs> But, I mean, even if it was... Well, if, if you're playing the Cavs and you've got Mayo and Vasquez out there, even who do you put on LeBron out of the two? Who's the better defender? Really? I, mean, I mean, you just throw Giannis on him if he's at the four. Yeah, of course. That's not the question I'm asking. That's an easy answer. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's not necessarily... LeBron is the extreme, but if you're playing a team yeah. and they have a talented shooting guard or a small forward, well, which one of those two do you put on to the best guy? on the floor at that time. I don't know if there's a win there either way. Yeah, see, that's the problem with either of them at the three, but definitely both of them on the floor at the two and three together, I'd say. Um, yeah. I'd probably lean Mayo just because, as we mentioned last week, his numbers didn't look great, but that could be in part due to the way that game six played out. But in terms of the eye test, he at least made life uncomfortable for Jimmy Butler at times. I don't think there was any stopping Butler in that series, but Mayo did his best to at least throw him off a little bit. Um, I guess that's that's enough for small forwards. We've a pretty deep mailbag, so we're not going to go into the mailbag in too much detail. Let's keep these answers as quick as we can, as short <laughs> as we can. Um, first one comes from at PS Big Dog 62. This is a question he actually 
tweeted at the account earlier in the week and I, I said I'd save it for the mailbag because me living the other side of the Atlantic, I don't have a great answer for this and it's a pretty big question. So we'll see if you guys have any better insight. It might be something we explore a little bit more over the next week or so um, with the NFL returning too. But the question is, why have the books not captured the market but the Packers have? Um, whilst in LA, the Lakers rule, but NFL teams have failed. My reading on this, I might be completely wrong, and you guys could tell me on that. A little part of that is tradition, really. Um, there's probably parts of it that are demographic, parts that are tradition, but different areas have, I guess, they're, they're more inclined to go towards different sports. Would that be fair? Yeah. Well... I mean, the, the deeper answer, I guess, just to kind of jump in, uh, the Bucks have almost always sucked. And yes. The Packers have had some, well, and the Packers have had some bad stretches too, but, like, legendary Packers, well, Vince Lombardi is the trophies named after him. Bart Starr has a street. Brett Favre, I believe, already has a street or will have a street. And um, Holmgren has Holmgren Way. They're, they're all honored in Green Bay, and they're all honored throughout Wisconsin. The one really, really good Bucks team, obviously, was the title run led by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem and the city at the time left under some pretty rough circumstances after he changed his name and converted from Lou Alcindor. Milwaukee at that time just wasn't ready for it, and that's not to cop out for Milwaukee. It was really stupid on the city's part. But when he went to L.A., it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't because the Lakers were the best team. Part of it was because... Los Angeles was a lot more open of a city than Milwaukee was at the time. And so for a while, until kind of recently, it was a little rough between Kareem and the city. So in that sort of way, it was like, well, we finally had a good guy, and then in the eyes of Milwaukee, he sort of like went off the walls, even though he obviously really didn't. So there was just that roughness, and then after that, for a long while, for pretty much perpetually since then, with a few exceptions, the Bucks have been bad. So it was kind of an obvious fix. Well, let's go with the good team where we like all of our heroes and we can honor them. And they stuck, they stuck around, even though five left. He ended up coming back. A lot of the guys from back in the day never left. They were just Packers forever. And those were some of the best NFL teams ever, and that helps too. Yeah, I would double down on that. And I think just, you know, no one really likes to root for a team that isn't winning or very successful. And, the Bucks weren't, you wouldn't say they were the worst team except for a couple of years ago, but they were always a middling success and they didn't really, like, nothing positive came out of it. It was just middle of the road. Yeah. And I think people kind of got disenfranchised with that. And at the same time, as they're kind of hitting the decline, because obviously those 80 teams are really good and faced up against really tough teams. But that's when the Packers are really bad. And then as the Bucks kind of, you know, you don't really know where they're going to go. The Packers started getting, you know, good again. And he, it's probably, Packers it's, are really... That is, I'm actually, I'm looking right now at the Packers season by season history because it's completely alien to me. Um, <laughs> but it's, it is, a, it's actually fascinating to look at, I guess, the early history of the Packers. Not the early history, but I guess, look, you have a spell from, from 68 up until 1992, they made the playoffs twice. Mm -hmm. that, just, I mean, that just so happens to be the greatest stretch in the history of the books. Yeah. 
Um, so I don't know. It's, it, that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe the fact that the books were so bad after that, and starting from '93, just as the books got bad again, well, that's when the Packers really took off once again. Mm-hmm. And maybe that plays into just a lot of the good work that the books might have done throughout the '70s and '80s in become a bigger influence in the state. Was that probably has a recency bias wiped that out? Maybe. Oh, that's definitely part of it. Yeah, I, mean, I just think I mean the fact that it's Green Bay—it's such a small city. It's a little over a hundred thousand people. It has this mystique because it's such a small town. Like in reality, it would not be there, and if the NFL had a chance, but no one cert- like quote unquote officially owns the team. It's everybody in the town, if you have, or not everybody in the town. But if you have a stockholder or something like that, it's just something about that. It, and the, obviously Lambeau Field itself and what they've done recently. It just there's a lot of mistake that even like the best runs or run organizations, it's hard to try to beat that whole history and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think that's why you kinda see Packer fandom and I, let's be honest too, the NFL is even with all the hits that they take, it's still incredibly popular just to, you know it's hard to match that up. So do you feel the identity of the team is maybe it's a little it's received a little bit better or maybe it's more relatable to your average Joe in Wisconsin? Yes. Oh yeah, I, I would definitely so. say that. And so I I guess I don't know, we we're not obviously privy to what goes on in meetings with, with the book's ownership, but that's gotta be a big factor then in them trying to change their identity. And maybe even oh, some, yeah. some of the smaller details of that again. They're, they're definitely going for the younger demographic, though. You can definitely tell that. It just feels like it. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just me. But whenever when I, a lot of the times when I see Buck stuff, it feels like it's going towards younger people a lot. To be honest, is not I'm dumb. starting to feel, okay, that's a smart move from a marketing perspective. I mean, that's that's where you want to go. That's That's where the disposable income generally is. But at the same time, there's so much of that around the NBA. I don't feel like that's something that's just coming organically from teams. I have a feeling the league as a whole um, probably have a little bit of an unspoken mandate that obviously is never going to go on the record, but I'm sure they're encouraging their teams, well, let's get our product out there to the younger markets. Um, football fans are football fans, and... I guess from the outside looking in, to me it does seem there is a bit of a, I guess the US sports scene looks to me like there's a bit of you'll have general sports fans and then you'll have football fans. Mm-hmm. And there is, there's there's people who just love sports and whether that's, I mean, if we're talking Wisconsin, whether that's watching a Packers game, a Brewers game, a Bucks game, they just love sports. Yeah, and then you have people who their life is this time of year, where mm-hmm. the NFL is about to come back round, and that is their everything. I don't know how you tap into that, and it it does. It seems to be something that's it's now really deeply rooted. Is it fair to say in the state as a whole? Once again, this is that's the way it seems to me. But you guys will be able to tell me is is as close as is possible 
does it feel that the whole state is always behind the Packers? Yes, no doubt. I would say no doubt. I mean, there's there's other fans. I'm not a Packers fan. I'm a Saints fan. But uh, even considering that, I mean, there's Packers stuff. Every, I have Packers glasses. I bought them myself. I, I saw them at Goodwill. I was like, these look awesome, and I, I don't hate the Packers. And then I, I wonder, is, the is another part of that that's a little bit different than to some other states and their NFL teams and their NBA yeah. teams, is it the fact that the state's team is in a smaller city? Yeah, yeah. people, that the people are drawn cool. to it more because there's not there's not that sort of inferiority complex that you can have in other states where it's oh well that's the big city team. Mm. Uh, yeah. That might play into it as well. I I don't know. Once again, this is me very much from the outside looking in, just trying to take guesses at it from from how I see it. But do you guys feel that would play into it too? That sort of an accurate reflection of things. Oh yeah. The, oh, well, the other thing too. I mean. The Packers have really, whether you're a fan of, a fan of them or not, they have really marketed themselves incredibly well. And yeah. the Bucks, until the new ownership, even themselves, like when they, there was one thing that was, it was incredibly telling. It was a couple months after they just got like officially owned the team. They tried, they tried buying Bucks merchandise. Yeah. And they couldn't find it in stores. Yeah. I Literally, if you. The only time you could buy like a jer- a Bucks jersey if is if you went to maybe like a uh, the mall and they have like a sports store, but largely if you went to a Bucks game. And I guess that's I, I just before you said that I was thinking of that because I guess where that's telling and this is why the jerseys are being redesigned. Very simply, Packers jerseys look great. Mm-hmm. They're really distinctive. Yeah. yeah, from a mile out, you're gonna spot it as what it is. Nice, simple, clear, very much like the new books jerseys are. They've got a well-defined identity, and they look really good. I don't think, I don't think there can be a lot of arguments over that. One of the better NFL jerseys you're going to find, and it's without doing anything too drastic. It's not a jersey that's going to change very much, ever. Um, I mean, yeah, if we don't need to. if we were they talking about, if we were talking about the Packers a hundred years from now, chances are. The jersey's going to be the same because that's what the franchise is, and that that is probably a part of it. It's, it's interesting; it's something to have a look at. It's maybe something we'll we'll try to explore a little bit more on the site, just as we get closer to football season. Um, the similarities and the differences between the two organizations, and maybe where the books can become a little bit more like the Packers, because there's definitely plenty to aspire to there. Um, yeah. Between between, I guess the feelings and. The support they they drill up within the fan base to, on a much more obvious level, their consistent success at least in in more recent times. Um, moving on to the next question, this one comes from. He got his question in early this week. <laughs> um, it's at pencil two two nine two. The best writing utensil, much to my chagrin, when I called him out earlier today. <laughs> yeah, you called him out, and he. This is, how, this is how early he got his question in. I woke up this morning, which is way before any of you guys are waking up. I woke <laughs> up and I had Pencil's question in. So <laughs> that, that's how well organized he was this week. We appreciate that. Um, Pencil's the best. Yeah. <laughs> we, we made fun of him last week for, for cutting it really close and 
he just he came up trumps this time. Play, he did not play any games. No, he was not. There was no <laughs> messing around. Pencil man business yeah, this time. In the words of Bill Simmons, it was like an F U three. He just he <laughs> drained it and just stared at us and backed up. What? And I love it. I think Pencil might be your favorite type of basketball player, just going back <laughs> and talk. Um, his question is further to my question last week. If you're not a oh regular boy. listener, sorry about that, but you've got you've got to listen every week to keep up with Pencil's questions. Yeah, don't tell them. Don't tell them what it was last <laughs> week. <laughs> They'll get the idea. Further to my question last week, is there anyone else in the NBA under 25 where you trade literally anyone? Let's not go crazy deep on this, but just brief snapshot under 25. Last week it was Anthony Davis, right? Yes. So we're not doing Anthony Davis. Uh, I've got one player I'd consider going closer, and that's Kawhi. Me too. Uh, yeah, that's... I'd agree with that. If it wasn't for the injury, probably Paul George. I don't think he's 25 yet, is he? No. Oh, he might be. Let's see. Uh, I, think he, I thought he was 24, but I might be... I might he be is outdated. 25. Um... He's only recently 25. I mean, we can count them. I don't think <laughs> I don't think Pencil's going to be that pedantic about it. Um, yeah, it was in May. Um, maybe Paul. I mean, Paul George is really just like kind of like the ceiling of what you want Giannis to become. So maybe him. Yeah, I but think that's fair. The, the inj- Yeah, I mean, when I look at Paul George, I think wow, if Giannis could shoot, that's probably what Giannis would look like. The thing I'll qualify this with, like I did last week, and we were talking about Anthony Davis last week. I still don't think I give up anything for these guys or everything for these guys. That's just a big risk. I, I go close I to it though. Not, if 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 I the Spurs if the Spurs picked up the phone tomorrow and rang me and I was the GM of the books and they said, um, "How do you feel about Kawhi Leonard?" I'd be asking them, "Well, how do you feel about our whole roster? Take your pick, and we'll talk from there." I wouldn't necessarily give them all up at once, but definitely I wouldn't put any one player off the table straight off. Mm. I would not put any one, but I, I said last week I would do Jabari and Giannis for AD. I think I said that. I would not do that for Kawhi Leonard. I don't think Kawhi Leonard... There's a solid chance Kawhi Leonard ends up being Scottie Pippen, I think. We were talking about this earlier. I don't know if Kawhi Leonard's ever good enough to be the best player on a championship team. I just don't know if the scoring is there. I think he'd be an ideal. He has been an ideal second banana, and he's he's like I'm not trying to knock Kawhi Leonard, but I just don't think you can build around just him and supporting cast and say we're gonna win a title this way. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that ever plays out because I guess that's a that's a fun hypothetical because there was okay there was short spells, but we don't really know what Scotty Pippen could have achieved if he had. A full career without Jordan? Well, we don't, but it's. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, Pippen's a generous comparison. That's a top twenty NBA. Yeah, player. absolutely. But yeah. I, I, I get, I get where you're coming from with that. I mean, yeah, it's, I just, I mean, it's I a generous think... comparison, but at the same time, it's not necessarily a completely unrealistic one. I don't think the Spurs really think he can be the top, at least scorer either. Seeing as they just went out and got Lamarcus Aldridge, I think that's just but, smart, though. I mean, they they I don't mean, want to find themselves in a place where they're all in on one guy, and I think that's that's the way to run an organization. Hopefully, that's the way the books are going with it too. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, yeah, that's that's fair enough. But I mean, I think if you have, I don't know, if you have a transcendence, if you have Kevin Durant, you don't go get Lamarcus Aldridge. 
you don't want that guy taking all the shots away. They they don't want well, Kawhi we'll, taking we'll talk Oklahoma, we'll talk Oklahoma City on <laughs> a podcast that will come later in the week and if you've Kevin Durant, I think you'd probably better go and get in the Marcus Aldridge and some of the other guys they got. Um, but we'll get there. Don't worry, everyone. You'd be probably been waiting for it if you're a regular listener. Pencil's probably <laughs> Pencil's probably been on the edge of his seat waiting for a Northwest uh, podcast preview. Well, that will come out on Thursday. And uh, next question. This one comes from at man underscore two no. It's what do you know and think about Giannis playing center? Uh, the first part of it, I, I don't, I don't know anything. Uh, I'll, I'll be upfront about that. Um, I, I try to give the illusion otherwise, but I don't know anything. There's no inside track on Giannis playing center. Uh, I'll stick in line with what I said earlier. I just, if the books want Giannis to play center, that's fine, but. That's gotta be a role he has, and they've gotta make him own it. I don't. Yeah, think I don't think it's the best spot for him, so I'm not too keen on the idea for any sort of. I guess any sort of significant or consistent period of time is is maybe the best way of putting it. If it has to happen for a short spell and he's capable of doing it, well, that's great. That's a great bonus to have in your arsenal as a team. Um, but in any sort of meaningful way or longer term, it's a no for me. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think he's a wing player. That's where he belongs. I mean, I don't think he's. I don't think we're gonna see him at center for more than maybe a couple minutes here or there. He's at least the fourth option behind Monroe, Henson, and uh, Miles Plumley. So I would say, I mean, it's a fun thought exercise. Could Giannis, if he really wanted to be, and if the team needed him to be, could he be a center? Maybe he could. I don't think it's his ideal best place to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. I really like the concept of it, but as it stands right now, and we can always like we always say potential, you know, down the line. But for what he is right now, it just doesn't make sense to do it unless if it's like obviously a small ball lineup and at most five minutes a game, you know, stuff like that. But nothing much. Next question comes from Atul Debbie. Would you trade for Andrew Bogut back, and if so, what? Um, I'll start off on this. I don't think I'd trade back from just because his contract is still quite big. Saying that, I say that, his contract is pretty much the equivalent of OJ Mayo, Jared Bayless. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna silently shrug here. Um, everyone knows how I feel about those two guys. It's <laughs> I'd be interested in that um, in all seriousness I love the idea of Bogut coming back to this books team potentially when his contract is up uh, that's the oh. time when Rose deal is going to be up as well I'm not talking about him being the guy but if if he was taking Cap's going to go up and if he's taking a good chunk less money say even if it's 7 million deal what that could be 2 years from now that's the time when the books are really looking to hit their championship window. A guy like Bogut could have, who knows, but then he could have three rings to his name, um, some real pedigree and, and know how how to get over the line. A guy who's fondly thought of at the franchise and to be honest, he probably has unfinished business. So I, I love the idea of seeing Bogut back as a book, not 
quite now with a salary though. I just don't see it. I mean, I think he's the ideal fit in Golden State where he, he anchors that defense, that terrific best in the NBA defense, but he's not the kind of ego where he's going to fight if they say, we need to go small ball for large portions of this game. You're going to sit. That's just how it is. Um, I don't I don't think they're going to let him go. I mean, I don't think that the promise of being that good will probably take maybe a little pay cut to stay there. I mean, would, would I want him back? I, I feel like I don't want to say anything until I see how Monroe plays. If Monroe shifts, I, feel, I'm, I wouldn't be talking about him though as Monroe's as a replacement for Monroe. But at the same time, it's yeah, potentially. I mean, he's gonna be 32 by then, yeah. and he's gonna have heavy miles on the clock, particularly because of his injury history. Uh, um, he's still still he's still gonna start somewhere, I think. How old is Tyson Chandler? How old is Tyson Chandler? Tyson Chandler doesn't have the sort of history and injuries that that Boga has. Well, how much did Wesley Wesley Matthews just got maxed? Wesley Matthews doesn't have a history of injuries. He has one injury. Sure, it's a very serious injury. Yeah, I'd take the guy who's healthy now over the guy who's literally still injured. I don't know. I think think the crazy spending we've seen, I don't think Boga is going to be taking back up salary then. I mean, the other thing is Wesley Matthews is 28 now, so he's two years younger, hasn't had injuries before. Sure, it's a serious one, but guys can recover. I, I, I'm not. I know you're really down on that deal. I'm not as down on it. It could, it could work out to be good in the end. Um, with Bogut, I, I, you say they're going to resign him, but why? Why are they going to resign him two years from now? Well, they're going to play it soon. Well, is this is really. Um, it might extend him. Why aren't they going to start Draymond Green there? Because he he I mean he can't play center against Mark Gasol. He can't play center against Greg Monroe. If he's as good as it looks like he could become, and all the other guys around them are, are that good and they can keep them together, it doesn't really matter. We saw that. I mean, plus, I think it's true. Plus, what if they develop? Oh, you're saying Festus Azili. Festus Azili is really sort of really serviceable as way I put it as a, as a big body to come in um, remember they have they've drafted Kevon Looney a guy I, I know I'm really high on his injuries are going to come into that but two years from now you don't know where he'll be once again he'd be on the small side really on the small side but he's another big body you don't know who they'll draft in the meantime who they could pick up I don't think it's to me it obviously depends on what way what way things work for them in a sense of how, how they go in contention the next two years, but it doesn't seem like a lock to me in any way that Bogut would be back in Golden State at 32. I would agree with that. I don't, I mean, if he gets injured again, I think that really significant, I, I think that changes how everybody looks at him. If he gets People injured still, again, the books shouldn't want him either, to be fair. Oh, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I just don't. I I don't. I just don't think Draymond Green could play 82 games at center in a year. I think he was there limited for a reason. He would just. He would get destroyed after a while. I mean, he's maybe six six, generously six six. He's not huge. Going up against actual centers every night. I mean, you just unless you're, you know, Charles Barkley. Or he's super Dennis strong Barkley. though, I, and I mean the, the problem with that is. Still. Yeah, but the mismatch works two ways. So, if he has more strength than the really big guys have agility, 
well, you know what? That's not as big a problem, that matchup, because he's going to have the edge on it. And he can drag them to places they don't want to be. And yeah. that's up, it's up to his teammates to help out and cover off for his his deficiencies. But if he's as good as he seems to be, and he does have that strength and the smarts and the determination to be able to cover the five, I don't I don't see why he can't be a starting center because that's that's the way a mismatch works. It works two ways. So if if he is that much smaller, okay, that goes in the that goes in the favor of of his opponent. If his opponent isn't agile or doesn't like to move, and Draymond Green is bringing him out to stretch the floor by shooting trees, that swings back his way. Mm-hmm. I I just feel like in one dose you can game plan against it better. I feel like you just pound the rock inside on on offense and bully Draymond and try to beat him up. And on defense, I don't know, maybe play some sort of a zone, try to just cover the perimeter with four guys and leave your center inside to rim protect. I don't know. I don't know. If you leave it to Draymond inside, I think he's going to, once again, he's going to be faster than all these guys. It's like them playing against a wing. So, I mean, most teams would go, okay, wing against the center one-on-one, I'll take my chances. Okay, if you have a really dominant shot blocker, well, that's, that's a different, I guess that's a different slant on it, but that's the sort of matchup you want. That's that's your mismatch that you look for. And the thing with Green, we've talked about it with Monroe, we've talked about so many guys, his passing. His passing plays into that a lot. Even if you look to even if you look to play the zone and just try to shut off all the guys on the perimeter. Okay, well if you give it to Draymond, he can go and he can try to score inside on you. And I'm sure that's something he's only going to improve on over the next couple of years. At the same time though, let your let your attention elapse for even a second. He's a good enough passer to find Steph Curry open, to find Clay Thompson open, and that's where you really get hurt. Yeah. Um, it's it, I I see your point. It's a tough one, and that's a big decision for the Warriors. It's a decision they'll have to make this year. Is who's going to get the bulk of their minutes there? And even if Bogut did pick up an injury, it would, it would be interesting to see how they would survive with that. If that is the way for them to go overall, or if it's just dependent on the matchup that it works out and if the Cavs were were a good matchup for them in that sense. Interesting to see. We'll see how it goes, I guess. Um, last two questions, they come from the same person. Um, back by popular demand. It's at Brady underscore Anderson Tree. Radio star. We'll ignore that, but welcome back, Brady. <laughs> it's been a few weeks. I think it's um, cool. We'll go sort of one word answer and then depending on your answer you can have a name added to this one. Do you expect any books to make the All Star game this year? Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you say Monroe instead of yes or no? He said Monroe, but that's yes. So <laughs> yes. I was gonna say Monroe too, but you beat me to it because you just you skipped Sorry. the yes or no. You didn't Sorry. follow the rules of the game. Yeah, Monroe. Sorry. Definitely Monroe. Nobody else. I'm gonna say. You're gonna say Middleton, aren't you? You're gonna say Middleton. Jordan always knows what I'm gonna say. It's starting to it's starting to scare me a little bit. He knew. <laughs> he knew that I was taking Hornets when no one else knew. Middleton's um, <laughs> got a case. I can see him as the second best one. There's always a wing who sneaks in. Well, I mean, if you look yeah. at his traditional positions, I wrote about this last year for Brandon Knight. Shooting guards really weak in the East. Outside yeah. of Butler, there's, there's no one. You've got Butler, player. and you, obviously Wade is going to rack up votes still. But there yeah. is, 
uh, there's a spot there that, depending how Bradley Beal kicks on, there's a battle there between, say, maybe Beal and Middleton. Um, yeah. As much as I love Kyle Corver and I'm a Hawks fan, I don't see Corver returning to the All-Star game. Um, mm. Who knows, maybe. But I don't think so. Um, there's not a whole lot else. But I don't know. Yeah. yeah that's tough. The so, Ola Depot? But that's a huge not, stretch. Not yet. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, as much yeah, a, that's much as much on how good the Magic are probably going to be as anything else. Oh. That, oh, that's yeah, much, yeah, I totally forgot about that. That's as much. That's small market syndrome, is what that is. And they're not national darlings like the Bucks are yet. That's why he'll he'll be a while still. Same with uh, Vucevic. Or did he go last year? No. No, he should have. I think people one. thought that he should have. Yeah. It's like Stockholm syndrome, but not at all. It's Orlando syndrome. It doesn't matter what you do until <laughs> until the national media starts calling you the next scary team, like they do the Bucks or your city, like quadruples in size, they're not going to see themselves getting that much. Last question. Once again from Brady. Brady. Yes or no? Can the books finish the top three in the East? Can I'll they? Go. Yes. I'll, yeah, I'll go first. I'll, well, I'm not going first. Go on, Tyler. You started. You beat me to it. Yes. No, sorry. <laughs> I mean, can they? Yes. If everything goes right and a couple of other teams go wrong, then absolutely. Um, Chicago could easily fall apart because they don't have center depth and they have a new coach and Derrick Rose is the biggest walking question mark on two reconstructed ACL slash knees ever. Um, Washington doesn't really have that much depth and I've got all sorts of demolished last week about their big man situation starting the May and all, they don't really have that much depth either. Uh, Dudley's hurt. That sounds uh, like I won last week that does. <laughs> what? That sounds yeah, like an admission. It's not no mission. I, I got shellacked, but I survived. Um, <laughs> the the Hawks um, could drop off a bit. Um, they could they could stay the same. I don't know if they can improve from that year. I just think that everything really clicked that year for Atlanta. But um, they only have to be better than probably two of those teams to be up there. Or three of those teams. They they only have to be second among those. They have to be second to Cleveland, essentially. Cleveland won't fall out of the top three, but I don't know. I think they could. They could. I don't think they will, but they could. Jordan. I really hope so, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't. Uh, even with like, even with a very significant injury in any of those teams, I just don't. I think their ceiling is fourth. If that go, if everything goes well, can they? Yes. Will they? Maybe. Um, this is based on the fact that I don't like Washington that much. I don't like Chicago that much. Um, who else don't I like? Miami. I don't like Miami. I don't like a lot of teams. <laughs> um, I I see the East. When I say I don't like, it's not even I think they're they're going to be that bad, but I just don't really like them in a way that I see them as clear-cutting in any sort of way. I think the Cavs are consensus best team. That's not a question I think that anyone has. I do think the Hawks will drop off but still be more than good enough to be the second best team. And then you've got a whole host of question marks. And you know, yeah. maybe the Bucks have less question marks than any of those other teams. Maybe. 
Yeah, maybe. That's what we're, we'll we'll finish on maybe. That's <laughs> um, that's it for for this podcast. I was gonna say that's this week's podcast. A little bit shorter this week, just just a little bit. Um, we went over two hours last week. Let's not scare people off by by putting them in terms <laughs> of that. Um, yeah, that's that's it for now. Um, we'll have second podcast of the week on Thursday. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to check out all our stuff on the site. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Ty. Bye.